0: time. And so uh, we uh, continue at our look this week at uh, Who's Your Neighbor? And so uh, today we'll look at two texts, again, kind of our, our main theme, uh, which is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, and then we'll also be looking um, at the 12th chapter of Romans. So I invite you uh, to hear these words. Mark says, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all. And Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment that is greater than these. And then from the letter to the Romans, Paul says, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. by evil but overcome evil with good sisters and brothers in christ this is the word of the lord thanks be to god and let's pray god we come to you on this beautiful day a beautiful spring day and we give you praise for the opportunities that we have to come and to celebrate who you are to come and to worship you to come and to laugh to come together as brothers and sisters in christ So I pray that you would be with us even now. And that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So yes, this is the very last Sunday of our Who's Your Neighbor series. And so I thought we'd take a look at the Romans passage today that I just read. And the reason why I like this passage is because when you get into the details, it seems to me it has something to say to us about what it means to love our neighbors. And and then we can also kind of take a step back and look at the theme, if you will, of the passage. And it seems to me it also has something to say to us about what it means to love our neighbor. Now I'm going to warn you because I'm going to go through the details of this Romans 12 uh, fairly quickly. So I apologize for that, but there's a lot of little details. To kind of get through. So if it feels like it's rapid fire, um, it it may be, but we're going to do it like that anyway. So let's begin. Paul begins this passage by saying that your love must be genuine. Now, it would be easy to think that that means that you shouldn't go out and love, let's say, your neighbor or whomever else, the person next to you, until you really, really feel it, right? Until you really, really feel like it's genuine, until there's just something bubbling out of your heart that says that you should go and love. But that's not really what Paul is writing here. Of course, in Paul's time, love was much less kind of this warm, fuzzy feeling than it oftentimes we equate with it now. What what Paul is literally saying here in this Passage is that if your love is going to be genuine, if you are really going to love, then you must also act in loving ways. You can't just say you love. You can't just feel that love. You actually have to act it out. right? It's much like when he, when he writes to the Corinthians and he, he gives them this beautiful passage in, in, in 13th chapter where he, he talks about how, um, how love is like, a, or he just goes on in majestic ways to speak about love and then all of a sudden he begins to say love is patient. It is kind. It is not envious. It is not proud. Right. All of these things that are, that are much more the ways that you can actually see if somebody really loves you right? And that's why, as we've been talking about over the last seven weeks, when it comes to love, what would I have said to you from the very beginning is not, I really hope that at the end of this week, when you look at your neighbor, you just feel something bubbling up inside of you. No, I mean, that could just be indigestion. That could be a lot of things. What we've said is that it has to reveal itself in some tangible, real way, right? Go and pray as you're walking throughout your neighborhood. Get to know their name, at least. Invite them into your home. Invite them into your life. These are really tangible things that show that your love is actually genuine. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Make sure that your love is genuine. And Paul goes on to say... That that, that we are to love others and that we should outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Outdo one another in showing honor. That is no small feat. I love what uh, the message says. The message Bible says that we should practice playing second fiddle. That when it comes to others, we should practice playing second fiddle fiddle when it comes to love. That's a sacrificial kind of love. I, I feel like I felt that a bit on Tuesday. On Tuesday night Megan had uh, had kind of an event to go to and I had an event to go to. We were both very excited about going to those events and so we, we had a babysitter come and watch the kids, right? Because apparently you're supposed to have someone watch young children. And so that's what we did. And so we had the babysitter there. It was great. But we both went to our events and then we called each other when the events were they weren't quite over yet, but, but We really wanted to stay at each of those events, but we knew that one of us had to go relieve the babysitter, right? And so the whole time I'm on the phone and she's on the phone, I didn't ask her if she was feeling like this. I know I was. I was wrestling with which one of us is going to play the second fiddle. I, of course, felt like she should play the second fiddle, right? And she, of course, probably felt like I should play it. And so the question was, which one of us was going to play the second fiddle? Right? And I want you to know if you don't ever feel like you're playing the second fiddle, then you need to listen to this. You need to ask yourselves what am I doing to outshow honor to my spouse, to my friend, to my neighbor, to whomever it may be? Right? It's a hard lesson, and yet real love will outdo one another in trying to honor them and trying to show them the way and to allow them to do what they would like to do, not always getting what you want to do. Paul continues then. He keeps harping on this love. He's very, uh, one thing about Paul, he, he, he's relentless. He keeps going. And so he says that, that you should not lag in zeal, that you should be ardent in your spirit. And so one of the things that one of our early church fathers, John Chrysostom, says is he says, that, he says that zeal needs to accompany love because oftentimes, he says, love will just kind of warm the heart. But what zeal does, what passion does, is he makes sure that something comes out of the hand. In other words, he makes sure whomever it is that loving, the zeal helps to make sure that it is embodied, that that love is embodied, that it's not just kind of, again, kind of an internal thing, but that it's boiling over with passion. Again, that for love to be genuine, it must be revealing itself. Paul says that we have to rejoice in hope. Ben Witherington says that what that really is is it saying that you are looking forward with joy because you know that God is going to work somehow. I've pastored several churches, and they've been great. I have loved each one of them. But I want you to know, as your pastor, the dramatic difference it makes when you are pastoring a congregation that actually expects to see God at work versus those who aren't really all that hopeful that God is going to do something. It makes a massive difference. And one of the things that we've been talking about when it comes to neighboring is that one of the mentalities that I want us to be able to have is the belief that God is actually doing something out in your neighborhoods, that there is something that God is doing. God is at work somehow if we would but be hopeful and expect it and have the courage to go out and to join with what God is doing. I am so encouraged by ZPC. This is is being recorded. I've loved all of my churches, but I will say that at least outwardly... are phenomenal. It is so wonderful to be able to kind of come up with ideas, to be able to hear from other people who have gone out and who have tried these things because they expected to see God do something. That we are called as a community to be rejoiceful, to be joyful because we know that God is at work. Amen? It's a part of the reason why children are so important to us. Children have something to teach us because children are much better at always remaining hopeful, right? I mean, we'll sit there with our girls and we'll be thinking about something or praying for something and they will pray for the world because they believe and they know that nothing is impossible with God. While we oftentimes as adults want to hedge our bets, they believe passionately in the joy and the hope and the power of God. Paul says that we are to extend hospitality to strangers. Now, we've talked about that uh, just a couple of weeks ago about extending hospitality. So I don't want to say too much about that. I just want to bring up one thing, which is that there's kind of this interesting word play going on here. This is not going to change your life. And I should probably not even bring it up because you probably do what happens when I say something to my kids that I think is really interesting and they're like, Boring, right? So, but I'm going to say it anyways, which is which is that you have in here, you have you have um, you you have the phrase, you know, extend hospitality to strangers, and right after that, you have bless those who persecute you. But what's interesting is that in the Greek, what it says is it says that you should pursue hospitality to strangers, and then you should bless those who are pursuing you. Get that? There's that kind of wordplay, right? Bless those or pursue those, go after those to whom you can. Extend hospitality, and even as you're going after them and somebody is coming after you who doesn't like you, you bless them anyways, right? You bless even those who are pursuing you, right? And right here, Paul begins to make a shift. By and large, he's been talking to the church community as a whole, but right here, all of a sudden, he begins to shift to how we should begin looking at the world that is out there. And so he says to us then, that we should rejoice with those who rejoice, and that we should mourn with those who mourn. Now there's something implied in that that I hope you catch, which is that we need to know people if we are going to be able to rejoice with what they rejoice about, and that we need to know people if we are going to mourn when people mourn. The reality is this, whether you believe it or not, I am telling you it is the case that there are people in our neighborhoods in the homes near us who are either joyful about something or who are mourning about something and we do not know it. One of the stories that's kind of come out of our neighboring is a ZPCer who met a neighbor who she didn't know before then, and in that conversation began to hear and realize that this neighbor is an empty nester, and that that empty nester has been mourning for quite some time, that reality. By and large, the only thing that has been keeping her company at night is the television, which is always on. And see, if there hadn't been the ZPCer who said, I am going to go out and just see who I can love, then she never would have known who was mourning. And would never have been able to come alongside of her. If we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. And mourn with those who mourn. Then we need to actually know those who are around us. We're not just thinking about our neighbors. We are extending a hand to them. Verse 18 says that we need to do everything in our power basically. To be at peace with those around us. Now, that's perfect for a neighborhood series because one of the things that you know, if you live in a neighborhood, whenever you live around a bunch of people, that there is always going to be some kind of conflict or annoyance, right? Maybe this is not the case in your neighborhood, but I have a feeling it is, right? And when I say this is a neighbor who's a little bit annoying, now some of you live in the same neighborhood, so don't look at one another right now. But it could be anything, right? It could be the neighbor who always leaves his dog out and who it seems must be deaf because the dog just keeps barking and keeps barking and keeps barking. And if you don't have that neighbor, come to Ninth and Pine and I will show you that neighbor. Or, or maybe it's the neighbor who takes out the trash can to the curb and just kind of leaves it there for days at a time, right? He or she may even go out and kind of empty out the trash right there on the curb rather than bringing it in, right? Or, or maybe it's the neighbor who, who, who rarely mows the lawn, it seems, right, and whose grass just keeps getting higher and higher, right? I, I mowed my lawn yesterday so that I could preach this sermon today without guilt. That might be what it is, right? Or maybe it's the one who lets his or her dog go over into your yard and bless you with a gift, whatever it. may be most of us have neighbors at least one who's in the neighborhood right now if that neighbor is you then the thing that you can do in order to bring peace is to stop being that neighbor right very easy if it's not you then the question might be rather than just being annoyed rather than just whispering to all the other neighbors about how annoying that one particular neighbor is maybe you can get to know that person Oftentimes, those are the most isolated people on the block. What might it mean for you, rather than seeing it as an annoyance, what if you see it as an opportunity to be able to reach out in some way to that neighbor, to love, to bring peace in that situation? Paul ends this uh, this passage by talking about vengeance. And in many ways, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing that he says. It's kind of confusing. In one sense, he seems to be saying, you should forgive those, you know, who have done you wrong. Uh, but then he also kind of says, and don't you even worry about it, because God's going to get them in the end, right? There's that, there's a little bit of that kind of, you know, of that juxtaposition, right? And, and so what exactly do we do with that? Well, I don't really have time to kind of go to delve into it too much, other than to say, I, you know, I get the sense that what God's saying is, first of all, not we should never have justice. Clearly, throughout scripture, there's the importance of government and bringing justice to folks to be sure but that said that ultimately our job is to remember that God is in control and that we should do everything we can to simply love those people to forgive those people who have done us wrong no matter what to be to, 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 be, uh, to believe that God is in control right and, 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 because it's also interesting because then Paul goes on to say that you know when you continue to love them and forgive them that you are heaping coals on their head right which is this kind of great image right that you could figure out what exactly is God saying or what exactly is Paul saying here and more than likely what again what it means because you have to kind of remember that 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 it's a message of grace that we have, is that by so doing, perhaps as you do that, perhaps that person will at some point repent. Perhaps at some point that person will have a change of heart. And, And our reaction is not to be revengeful, but is to be loving and forgiving. Why? Because it reflects the love and the forgiveness and the grace that we have received from God. which is a segue to our taking a step back. So we have all these details and even more that we could have gone through when it comes to this particular passage. But what I want us to do now is to take a step back. One of the hard parts about diving into the middle of a letter, as you know, we've talked about this before, is the fact that you don't really know what has come before. One of the dangers about coming here to where Paul begins to just say, this is what we're supposed to do. This is what the mark of a Christian, this is is exactly how you should love one another, how you should go out. Is that too often, especially for people like us who love to do things and we love to do lists, is that we just start doing it and we forget what has come before. This is a message that we have to repeat again and again and again. And what's come before is that Paul has told the Romans that God loves them. First and foremost, before you do anything, God loves you. Paul says earlier in Romans that the reason why we know that God loved us is that even when we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Paul goes on to later say that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. What is absolutely key type A people of our area is this. Before we can do anything, God has reached out and loves us. We experience that love of God. Before you even start on Romans 12, you have to know first and foremost that you are loved by God. Because if you just start doing, then inevitably you will start trying to earn that love. So we experience the love of God and then from there, what do we do? We then begin to reflect that love to those in our community, in our faith community, I would say. We begin, that's what, that's what Paul is going on here. Again, Paul's talking to a church. He's writing a letter to the church. And he is saying you have to outdo one another in showing love. And why do you do that? Because of the fact that you have received this love from God first and foremost. The analogy that I've used a little bit before is the fact that you all are teammates. And that what we are doing is we are practicing practicing that love. So as you have experienced the love and the grace and the generosity and the hospitality and the forgiveness of love, you are now called to practice that same love and generosity and forgiveness and grace and hospitality to one another. And I think most of us do not completely get that. You see, I think most of us have forgotten how important practice is. I know I had until about two months ago. When my oldest daughter, who just turned seven last week, decided that she was going to start playing softball. And I thought, okay, well, this is great. I love softball. Softball is great, right? This is a pretty simple game. And so I decided one day after about, she'd been practicing for a couple weeks, she said, well, I'm going to go out there because I remember what it was like to throw the ball with my mom and dad. And I love that. So come on, see, let's come out and let's, let's throw the ball, right? And I thought, how hard could this be, right? I mean, batting could be difficult because, you know, you got to figure it out. But throwing, I mean, it's so natural, right? You just pick up the ball. You just throw it, right? So I had great hopes as we got out there. We had glow. We were good to go. It was a beautiful day. And so she throws the ball. And the ball goes about 12 feet this direction, right? I'm like, that's a slow start. All right, well, you got this, right? Okay, we'll give that ball back, right? Okay, all right, throw it again. This way, this time, it's just... And it's like 12 feet the other direction. And I'm like, man, what is going on, sweetheart? You know, this is, you know, you just, you, and I'm trying to explain to her, you just, you, you just throw it. Right? You, you just throw the ball. Right? And so then I'm like, well, hasn't your coach, has your coach been talking to you? What, what's your coach been saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, coach has been telling. Okay, great. Great. Well, why don't you do that? Right? So, 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 so she, so she does it. Okay, this is, Okay. Right? And it goes completely, again, away, away from where it's supposed to go, but it's just completely kind of mechanical, step-by-step look. And I'm just thinking to myself, what is going on with Shaughnessy? And it it was several minutes, maybe even an hour before I realized something. I had forgotten. That I played baseball for about 10 years. And that I had gone to countless... Thousands of hours of practice again and again and again and again. So that when I see a ball and I pick it up, I don't even give it a second thought. I just throw the ball. You see, we oftentimes think, okay, we're supposed to be hospitable, we're supposed to be generous, we're supposed to be all these things, and we think that it should just kind of come naturally, that it will just happen. We'll go out there and try, and it doesn't happen, and we think, well, that must not be our spiritual gift, and we'll go on and we'll just do something else. No, it takes practice. So that when you look around at the people around you, guess what? These are your teammates that you are practicing. And why? Because the more that you begin to practice generosity and forgiveness and grace and love with all those who are around you, the more as you go out into the world, you begin to reflect that love to them. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's the shift that we started talking about. You remember that shift, right? When all of a sudden he starts talking about how you should be hospitable, how you should feed the hungry, how you should give Drink to the thirsty. You should forgive those out there who have done you wrong. Those things come out of the practice that you all have been doing with one another. So that rather than complaining when someone has done you wrong in the church and thinking to yourself, well, this is not the way the church should be, what you should do is you say, oh, great, there's the ball right there. I can pick that up and I can practice my throw now. And I can practice forgiveness now. Right. That, that's exactly. And guess what happens as you go out there and as you begin to practice, you know, as, with the teammates and then it begins to show in your game out in the real world. Then what you are allowing is those people out in the world to experience God. Right. Which is the very beginning of the cycle. Do you remember the cycle? It's a cycle. You experience the love of God. Then you begin to practice and reflect that love of God to their teammates. Then you begin to reflect that in the world out there who they then begin to experience God and hopefully then want to join a community where they can practice that and then go out and share. it. Do I need to draw the picture? Do you get what I'm saying? This is a thriving church that is able to understand the cycle. And we do this. We may not always talk about it, but we do this. Whenever I talk about generosity, I do not come up here. Typically, I I can remember and say, we need you to give so that I can have food. We need you to give so that we can keep the lights on. I want you to know this, and I mean it. I don't know what it would be, but I can find another job. I, I genuinely don't know what it would be, but I'm sure I could find another job. And I'm quite certain that this building could be used for something else. And if the only reason that you give or are generous is in order to keep me as a job or one of our other staff members, sorry, staff member I'll just speak for myself. If that's the only reason, then stop. The reason that we always talk about when we bring up generosity, the very first reason why we are generous is because, is because God is generous Throughout the Old Testament, we see the generosity of God providing food, drink, freedom, breath. Jesus Christ, of course, the most generous thing you can ever do is give up of yourself. So again and again, right, we talk about the generosity of God, and then we tell each other that we have to practice that with our teammates here. We practice it. When we talk about giving of our time and our talent and our treasure, we are practicing that as individuals. We are practicing that generosity. The fact that the church, ZPC, we as a community give away over 20% of what we give, we don't just do that because it's fun. We don't just do that because we can't find anything else to do with the money. We do it because we're practicing the generosity that we have received. And then after we practice that, what do we do? We go out into the world, right? I'm sure many of you think that I work for a union for waitresses and waiters because I'm always talking about the fact that we should be generous when we tip, right? That we should be generous when we go out there. When we talked a few weeks ago about time and about the fact that we have to begin scheduling time to be with our neighbors, there there are few things as generous as saying, I'm going to give up my time, I'm going to give up my night in order to spend this time with my neighbor because I love them. And when you do that, then you are giving them opportunity to experience the generosity that you have received from God. Do you see the cycle? You better say yes, or I will have to keep coming up with more examples. <laughs> well, fine then. What about hospitality? Right? When we talk about hospitality, I didn't just say, well, we got to be hospital because it's a nice thing to do. It's being polite. No, I don't care about that. I mean, it's good to be polite, but No, when we talk about hospitality, what did we do? We showed Rublev's icon, right? The icon, they had this great kind of image of how the Trinity welcomes us, right? Remember the stories in the New Testament and the gospels about Jesus who is always, always welcoming people, right? That's why, because Jesus has welcomed us and because he has welcomed us, we welcome others, right? And so we practice because this isn't easy for any of us. And so we practice. We have donuts. We have the brunch that we do. We have home groups. What are those things? They're practicing. We practice with our neighbors at the Jeremiah house. Right, last week, if you were here, uh, many men—fifty or sixty men—from Wheeler Mission and from the uh, from the Hebron uh, program—they were here with us, and it was a great timing. This was intentional so that we could welcome them at the brunch. Right, they got to come and eat, and then after that, they went over behind the Jeremiah house, and they took this picture. They gathered around and prayed. We welcome because we have received welcome. We don't do it because it's polite. We do it because it makes a difference. And so we welcome. And we practice that welcome. And the more that we practice it, the more that we then are able to go out and to practice it in the world. I've loved hearing some of the stories of how you all have practiced this over the last seven weeks. I love what our kids did. Our kids—they—they—they uh, they, they made cookies and they went out and passed out the cookies. And we have a, a one slide of uh, of the of, of one of our or a couple of our kids going and and uh, and a dad. And I I'm still not quite sure what the, I thought it was an animal. I don't know what that is. But anyways. And what the cookies said was just this. It says, it, it, it's sweet, I think it said, it's sweet living on your street. Isn't that quaint? But we teach our children, right, to be able to learn what it means to be welcoming. Right? I was talking to a ZPC here uh, during the last seven weeks who said that, you know, as you've been kind of focusing a little bit or thinking about this theme, when a neighbor came over, a neighbor whom he knew was going through a divorce and was coming over to get, to get his child Right, to pick up his child that rather than just saying, okay, here's your kid, thanks. He invited them into his home so that they could sit around and talk and that they could listen and it can encourage in the midst of this difficult time. Welcoming because we have been welcomed. Or a ZPC staffer for whom hospitality does not come naturally, who wrote in a Facebook post how surprised she was that she went out and decided to go out and to, to try to be a neighbor, anyways, and how amazed she was that she met this new neighbor. There was a hope that God was actually at work and could do something. We welcome because we have been welcomed. I love hearing these stories over the last seven weeks, but I want you to know something. That this whole love your neighbor thing is not a sermon series. It is a way of life. It's the way of life for those who have experienced the love of Jesus. And it must be the way of life for us here at ZPC. You'll see in your, uh, in your bulletin, I, wrote, I, put it, I put in that block map. I knew we wouldn't have time to do it again, and we don't. But I want you to look at it. I want you to remember the three questions. They were these. Write the first and last name of your neighbors. The second one was write down something relevant about them. The third was write down something more in-depth about them. I want you to know, my hope and my prayer is that this summer, that you will be able to add even more to that block map. And I'm going to warn you now, at some point, late summer or early fall, this block map is going to be in there, and you are going to have lots of time, and then you are going to have to post it on a wall. No, you're not going to have to do that, but... I want you to remember that this is not just a sermon series. It is the way of life for those of us who are in the church. We experience the hospitality, the generosity, the love of God. We practice it amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we go out and we perform in the world that they may also experience the love of Jesus Sisters and brothers, there's going to be lots of people out and about in these next several weeks. And my hope and my prayer is that you will in many ways reflect to them, to those you don't know, to those you barely know, the love and generosity of Jesus Christ. One neighbor at a time. And in so doing, will it be a beautiful day in the kingdom of God and a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Amen. Amen.